0: This opportunity that we have, justice, may better. So now, this opportunity that uh, we have to sit in meditation and listen to the Dhamma. So, in listening to the Dhamma, if we do that well, then wisdom will arise. If we listen while the mind is in a state of peace. So, while we are listening, we can know the breath, the in-breath and the out-breath as well, which means that we have mindfulness. And we put down all thoughts, all proliferation, we leave all of these things aside, all of the thoughts about that which has come to pass already, or that which has yet to be, So the things of the past, the things of the future, we lay all of that aside. So in order to see and understand the Dhamma, our mind needs to be in the present moment. So therefore if the mind is scattered, if it is restless, then we won't be able to understand the Dhamma. Because we are not contemplating, so we won't see the Dhamma. But if the mind has a degree of peace, then we can understand the Dhamma little by little. So we see there are these three kinds of happiness. There is the happiness in the world, the happiness of samadhi, and the happiness of wisdom. And all humans desire happiness, that no one wants to suffer. But when we want this happiness, most people go about getting it in a way that causes harm to others. They harm others for the sake of their own personal happiness. So this is a kind of happiness, but it's that without virtue or morality. It's on the level of a putujana, so someone who is thick with the defilements. And this is why the world is in such a chaotic state. But if we are going to find a higher happiness well it's that of a kalyana chana of a good or a beautiful being, one with a beautiful mind. So someone who is generous and someone who is virtuous. And when we are generous, we are virtuous Then. We don't harm other people or other beings. We're able to have a degree of control over our actions of our body and our speech. We keep these precepts, and so there's a peace that comes out through our actions. And the benefits of having these precepts, silena sukatingyangti, this becomes a cause for happiness, a happiness in sila dhamma in this uh, moral integrity. But even though we have that, the mind can still be chaotic, can still be quite a mess, can still be all agitated, can still be gloomy. We want happiness, but sometimes it can be really difficult for us to get that. And then when we do get it, we cling to that happiness. And then that becomes a cause for suffering to arise. So the thing that we really wish for is peace. And so we come to train in samadhi so that this can arise. So I asked you already, who wants jhanas? Who wants a still and peaceful mind? Who wants to get samadhi? And everyone put their hand up. And before I ordained, I would have uh, done the same. And really I did, but it was like an internal hand that I put up. That I wanted this uh, samadhi. And jhanas I wanted even more. Because I knew that if we're going to get this peace of mind that will come about through samadhi, the state where the mind isn't shaken. If we meet with a sense experience which is the stimulus for liking to arise, but the mind doesn't shake through that, if we meet with sense stimu- a sense object which is the stimulus for disliking to arise, then the mind doesn't shake through that. Because it's normal being in this world that we meet with these things, there's Praise and there's blame, isn't there? That there's gain and there's loss, there's praise, there's blame, there's fame and disrepute, and there's pleasure and pain. And so these eight worldly dhammas are things that everyone who is born into this world needs to meet with. And if the mind doesn't have stability to it then it will always be running after these things. Getting involved in pleasure towards them sometimes and displeasure at other times. And so it's like that when the minds of beings are engulfed in this world that this is just their nature to be this way. Even though you may be virtuous, have sila dhamma, but the mind is still in the world and so it follows all of these sense experiences like this. And so that's its nature, it's normal for it to be that way. And it's normal because there's avicca tanha upadana, so there's ignorance, craving and clinging in the mind. And so we have this aspiration for samadhi then, for the mind being firm, for it to be stable, because we know that this is something which is really good. And when we have wisdom then we'll understand and the four noble truths, so that of stress, of discontent, dukkha, and then there's the cause for dukkha to arise, there's neurodurate cessation and the path leading to that cessation. And so the seeing of all materiality and mentality as a dukkha, anatta. So as things that change, that are stressful and not self. Because we don't want to attach to these things as being a self. Because we listen to dharma talks already and so we know that that's the cause for suffering to arise. Because if we have the self, if we have me and mine, then that suffering will come up. And so that's how it's been for us. But then we, and that's all we've known, But then maybe we listen to a monk speak and they teach us that these things aren't, us, they're not me, the physicality, mentality, it's not me, it's not you. But the mind still clings, it still attaches, it still has this self, even though we know that that's the cause for suffering to arise, even though we don't wish for it to be that way. But when the cause is still there, then suffering, discontent will need to come up and when that cause disappears then freedom from suffering arises. So when when that happens this Naroda comes up but this doesn't just happen all by itself it doesn't happen haphazardly that if we have these defilements if there's still craving and we don't do anything then suffering will constantly be appearing. If we just get delighted in this world, the things of this world then the defilements grow and grow, they don't get less. And it's the nature of defilements to be that way. So when we start seeing the drawbacks of this chaos, of things being a mess like this, then we start asking ourselves, why? Why is my heart such a mess? I want peace, so why is it not peaceful? I don't want for it to be thinking all over the place, so why is it doing that? I don't want for anger to arise. Because everyone knows that this is something that isn't good. We don't want greed, hatred and delusion. So why are our minds this way? And we take this heart to be us, don't we? That we don't like these things. We want to get rid of at least some of the defilements. We want to gain at least some samadhi. So therefore we need to train. So we've read some dhamma already, listens to dhamma already. And so we know that okay, we need to be generous, we need to be virtuous, we need to meditate in order to bring the minds to peace and stillness so that this wisdom can arise. But it's not the case that we just sit about doing nothing at all and wisdom comes up by itself. For that to happen We need to be someone who has a great amount of bhārami, of spiritual virtues already. Those beings who could listen to the Dhamma once, or two times, or three times, and reach stream entry, or once returnership, non-returnership, or arahant. Those who are able to just sit in meditation and their minds straight into samadhi, or even into jhana, that there's great stillness, there's peace there, the body and the mind are empty. For that to happen, one needs to have created a lot of bharami, a lot of these spiritual virtues before. And so these beings are those who have a great blessing in their life, that they've done a lot of merit before in the past they've meditated a lot, they've cultivated samadhi before. But in these nine days of us practicing together, this is what we're doing, we're creating this bhāramī, this is us forging these spiritual virtues in our hearts so that we're leading our hearts to knowing the Dhamma and seeing the Dhamma. You can see how for some people being generous is really difficult for them. But for those who are generous in a consistent way that if there's some small deed that they can do of kindness, of giving or a big deed then they do that. That they create this good karma on a, a constant basis. And for these people being generous is something that's very easy. That they do these good deeds and the heart feels comfortable, it feels at ease. And they try to seek out opportunities to make merit, to do acts of goodness. And so it's easy for them to do that. But in order for that to be easy for these people, they must have done this before. So that in the present they can be this way so that they can be generous on a consistent level in the present moment. And they see the benefits of this, the benefits of being generous, the drawbacks in being stingy. Says so the benefits in generosity, the benefits of virtue. And then for those who see the drawbacks in the chaos of the mind, then they'll see the benefits of seeking out inner peace so this is the case for all of you here who have come here and what this shows is that all of you have created a lot of merit and a lot of Bharami spiritual virtues already so that you have this intent to come and to practice is this wish To know the Dhamma, to see the Dhamma. And some people ask, to do that, to know the Dhamma, see the Dhamma, is it necessary to be in a state of jhana? We can look at uh, the Brahman, Anya Kondanya, that when he listened to the Dhamma, his mind wasn't in a place of complete stillness, so that he wasn't thinking or contemplating at all. Because if he didn't contemplate while listening to the Dharma of the Buddha then he would have just been abiding in that state of happiness of jhana but he wouldn't have seen the Dhamma. But his mind rather was in a state of sammā, samādhi so this right collectedness, it was well established and in an appropriate state to contemplate. So while he was listening, he was contemplating in line with what he was listening to. But that contemplation, it's not restless thinking. Because if it's like that, then wisdom doesn't arise. But rather it is a kind of thinking that's based in mindfulness so that wisdom does come up. And we're able to understand and accept. This wisdom manifests and were able to know the Dhamma, see the Dhamma. So with all of you listening to this Dhamma now, it was like me uh, before I ordained when I was a lay person. I was interested in listening to the Dhamma just like all of you. And my mind was in a really chaotic state as well. But previously I'd sat in meditation Um, some years before and there was stillness and peace in my mind but eventually I gave that up and I didn't do it anymore. And then I got involved in this deluded delight in the things of this world in the sounds and the sights, the tastes, tactile sensations. But eventually I saw the drawbacks of this, the drawbacks of samsara. Of a mind which is chaotic. And so I started up training again, started up meditating. And so I was generous, I'd keep the precepts, just like all of you, listen to the Dhamma as well. And then eventually I listened to a talk by Ajahn Chah, and he was talking about liberation and convention, uh, vimuti and samuti. And this was really incredible, listening to this. Because I had attached to all things, all of these conventional things, all of these things in the world. I really thought that like a dharma hall actually was a dharma hall. I really thought that there were such things as uh, lay people and monastics, that these were real things. That there was big size and small size that material things will have different names, that that's how I understood it, that a glass really was a glass, that there was big glasses and small glasses. I didn't really understand the nature of conventions. But when I listened to this dharma talk, then I did understand into convention and liberation. There was an understanding that arose. And it was like the mind flipped over and really gathered together. And I could see that in truth these things were not self. And the self just wasn't there. And see that they're really just suppositions, conventions. And so through that, then this emptiness came up. And it was really incredible, really amazing, this state. I looked at. It, the material things and the people around me, but I didn't see any people. There was no being, no individual anymore. I didn't see those, but that was just the size of the Dhamma. So there was a great joy rapture that came up in the heart for three days and three nights. So this is something that's possible to arise. But if we practice, then we can get there. So this can come up uh, for months at a time, it's possible that the mind is really peaceful, that at ease. But, but this came from initially practicing and falling over many times and then picking myself up again. When the mind was at peace then it felt really nice and at ease during those times. When it wasn't peaceful, then it was really difficult. So, this fight wasn't easy at all. So, if we carry on practicing, then it's possible that this peace will come up for us. But the. So, the times that this does come up, then we feel like. Okay, I I can probably do this, I can probably do this practice. But the days that this peace doesn't come up, then it feels like the defilements are just uh, overriding the heart. Greed, hatred, delusion come up and we can't take it. We just carry on going with it, carry on trying to practice. And so we carry on with cultivating our Barami. And we're fortunate. I was fortunate, being close to khrubha being close to Ajahn Chah, that he taught me until I was able to understand, in this deep understanding of the Dhamma. So this samadhi arose and there was coolness and peace in the heart. And then next this came up for months at a time, for six months, even for a year, that there was this peace there. And so it's possible for this to happen with samadhi. So therefore, for us, we shouldn't become dejected or discouraged, but rather really set our hearts on this practice. That so we make this determination that what we want is samadhi, that what we're after is maga, pala, nibbana, the pras, the fruition, and nibbana. And so we bring up this truthfulness there, this determination of truth and then really sets our efforts on that. It's not that we bring up a determination and we just don't do anything but rather we set our hearts and then we follow through with that. But we need to put in our efforts, we need to have a mind which is focused. So there are many people who have come and many of you are quite young and this is something that's really worth rejoicing in, that uh, you want peace from this young age. And for those who are elderly already, then don't be careless. For those in the middle age, you still have a good opportunity uh, to carry on practicing to really set your hearts on this practice. And before, um, when I was a lay person, I had a friend who was 60 years old. Um, For myself at that time I was 21. And we both wanted to ordain. But my friend told me that it's like he was walking through the forest And you come across a really beautiful tree that he wanted to use to make a house from. But the axe that he had was damaged and blunt. So he wasn't able to use it anymore. And then his brain had already deteriorated a bit. The samadhi, or the mindfulness and the wisdom wasn't as good due to that old age. So this was quite sad. But we all have the opportunity to practice, to meditate. We have this goal of samadhi. So what then are the obstacles to samadhi? The obstacles are liking and disliking. There's anger in a will. There's delighting in uh, forms and sounds, odors, tastes, tactile sensations. There's the mind which is scattered, there's drowsiness, and there's doubts. So these are the five things which obstruct Samadhi. So when we want Samadhi, but it's these things which are getting in the way, they don't allow Samadhi to arise. When our eyes see something, there's, then there's liking or disliking towards that. Maybe we get over that, then drowsiness arises, and then there's restless thinking in the past and the future. The mind gets involved in doubts and uncertainty again. And so this samadhi never becomes firmly established. So the Buddha said we should seek out methods to have as a mainstay for our heart for it to become firm. So we can recite Buddha Dhammo sangho, We can know the in and out breath, having mindfulness there. We need to have something to tie our minds down to, a meditation object to use. And when we have that, then when we receive a sense impression, (coughs) and we don't attach to it, or maybe there's just a little bit of attachment, there's a bit of liking and disliking that come up, but we're able to contemplate that. And so we can ask ourselves, well, why would I want to be involved in that? That I need to die, don't I? So what's the point in being delighted? What's the point in being averse when I need to die? Why would I want to have aversion towards something? That there isn't me, there's no me, there's no them. This anger, it doesn't have a self. It's just the ignorance in the heart that, that brings this up. <clears throat> and so really there's nothing which can make us become angry. That if our hearts have um, immunity, if they're strong, then they won't be able to come ang- become angry. But the fact that they do is because they have these germs within them the germs of ignorance, craving and clinging that there's still a self and so these defilements then come up greed hatred and delusion arise so we shouldn't lay the blame on things outside us but rather place the blame within our own hearts it's because of our hearts isn't it if the mind has wisdom, then greed, hatred and delusion just couldn't arise. It's like if we catch a cold, the reason we've got that cold is because our immunity has fallen, that really the, this virus or these bacteria, that they're all over the place, all the time anyway, and if someone's immune system is working well, then they won't get it. But if their immune system isn't good, then they do catch that. It's because the body isn't healthy. It's because we haven't been eating well, we haven't been exercising, we haven't been looking after the body. And if we do, then uh, these germs, then they, uh, even though they're there, the the body can fight with them. And so it's the same, that if the mind has this immunity, then it will be able to fight with all these sense impressions. So which means that if we're with our karmatana object, our meditation object, that if our mindfulness is well established like that, then our samadhi becomes more and more firm. So this is something that we're all able to do, it's not above our ability to give rise to samadhi like this. If we just carry on practicing bit by bit. If the mind is really scattered and we feel like we just can't take it anymore, then we can recollect the good things that we've done before. And we can make a note of all these virtuous deeds. So in the last 10 years, what have we done? We've done this and we've done that ten years ago, then nine years ago, eight, seven, and things we did three years ago, two years ago, things we've done this year. What meritorious deeds have we done? So we can think about how we've gone to a katina ceremony and made offerings, how we've supported the building of an hall. we've maybe offered a little bit of money for the purchase of a monastery land, so things that bring up brightness and happiness in our heart. And then the scatteredness will reduce, due to our recollection of this one object of the merit that we've done. And we can recollect how we have taken up the precepts before, we've listened to the Dhamma on many occasions, we've taken up these eight precepts on the one prana, the lunar observance days. And then the heart really becomes bright and full, through that all of these good things that we've done they fill up the heart and they don't leave so we use this as the object of our hearts to bring them to peace and to stillness bring them into samadhi and so this is a valid method that we can use so it's not necessary to recite this word buddha to bring the mind to peace that we can recollect this goodness, or perhaps we can uh, be with the breath. Then, as we're with the breath, and the mind also fills up with that joy and that happiness, that this brightness arises as well. And when this samadhi becomes firm, and we contemplate into conventions and liberation can see all things as just being conventional and then this vimuthi liberation appears and so the mind reaches a state of contentment of great inner happiness it's able to separate out from the things of this world able to destroy delusion and that which binds our hearts and when we cut these fetters then there's a spaciousness and ease in the heart. But before we just didn't know what was going on. We didn't know that there were these fetters binding our hearts because we've been used to them. They've always been there. And it's just habitual for us to be like that. So when that's the case then we're able to just stay along with them in this world we don't see that there's any problem. But when they really start putting a squeeze on our heart, when they start binding us really tight, and we don't have any freedom, then that's when a desire for freedom appears. So like when anger comes up with great intensity, and we just can't take it anymore, Or the mind is just so restless and it carries on thinking to the point where we can't eat and we can't sleep. That's when we see the harm of these things. We ask ourselves why is it like this? That I'd felt ease, comfort in my heart before, but now it's just chaotic. So we see that we have created this peace before. We have been in a state of inner peace, maybe in a previous life and we're able to recollect that peace that we once had. And we want to get back to that state. So we start practicing anew. And as we practice, the mind becomes better and better until wisdom arises and we're able to abandon the defilements, maybe just once. But the mind then becomes very bright, contented, full. There's the spaciousness, this openness to the mind. We realize that Nibbāna is right here. We gain great encouragement then, great energy of mind. And here we don't need to force our efforts. But this just happens by itself. That We have energy by ourselves, the mind is naturally in a state of samadhi, that we can maintain our mindfulness. That the mind teaches itself, we don't need to seek out these things, we don't need to force them, we don't need to control them. So the benefits of being close to an awakened teacher, like Ajahn Chah, is this, and they can lead us and they can give us great Um, energy, great encouragement until we can find those resources of energy within our own hearts. So for all of us we just carry on practicing consistently those here in the monastery, those joining online you'll do this already, you study the Dhamma consistently, contemplate consistently carry on going without stopping putting in your efforts without stopping really trying to abandon all harmful states giving rise to virtuous helpful states and if we do this then in the end we need to get there so for myself when I look back to the beginning so to my mind which was initially in a very chaotic state and then eventually gave rise to peace and understanding and the state of the Dhamma appeared you can see that going back step by step the very first step of the journey was seeing the drawbacks in a heart that was under the control of the defilements seeing the drawbacks, and the pain of being stuck in the cycle of birth and death. So may all of you really set your hearts on this practice, and one day you'll need to get there. If you just carry on practicing, carry on meditating, so may all of you grow in blessings.